0: Hi, this is christian Kuhn of urban village church in chicago welcome back to my sermon podcast it's two weeks in a row that i'm actually doing a sermon podcast and i feel like it's been forever since i've done that uh we are now at the beginning of a sermon series uh where we are taking a look about uh, what does it mean to be methodist Um, the name of the sermon series is called means of grace actually today i'll talk a little bit about what uh, means of grace are particularly one Uh, And so we're going to start today by reading from the book of Acts. And this is uh, chapter 15, verses 1 through 12. Then certain individuals came down from Judea and were teaching the brothers, unless you are circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. And after Paul and Barnabas had no small dissension and debate with them, Paul and Barnabas, and some of the others were appointed to go up to Jerusalem to discuss this question with the apostles and the elders. So they were sent on their way by the church, and as they passed through both Phoenicia and Samaria, they reported the conversion of the Gentiles and brought great joy to all the believers. When they, had, when they came to Jerusalem, they were welcomed by the church and the apostles and the elders, and they reported all that God had done with them. That some believers who belonged to the sect of the Pharisees stood up and said, It is necessary for them to be circumcised in order to keep the law of Moses. The apostles and the elders met together to consider this matter. After there had been much debate, Peter stood up and said to them, My brothers, you know that in the early days God made a choice among you, that I should be the one through whom the Gentiles would hear the message of the good news and become believers. And God, who knows the human heart, testified to them by giving them the Holy Spirit, just as he did to us. And in cleansing their hearts by faith, he has made no distinction between them and us. Now, therefore, why are you putting God to the test by placing on the neck of the disciples a yoke that neither our ancestors nor we have been able to bear? On the contrary, we believe that we will be saved through the grace of the Lord Jesus, just as they will. The whole assembly kept silence and listened to Barnabas and Paul as they told of all the signs and wonders that God had done through them among the Gentiles. May God's blessing be on the hearing and living out of this word. So a few months ago, my son uh, thought it would be interesting and fun to take diving lessons, not skydiving lessons, but diving as in into a swimming pool diving lessons. And so Uh, I went with him on nearly all of these lessons down at the University of Chicago. And uh, so we got to the pool uh, there every single time. And the first couple of sessions, uh, it was interesting in the ways that they worked with the the kids. So it was a group uh, at the time, uh, Ethan was 12, and there were some who were a little bit younger than him, so probably like 9 to 12-year-olds or so. And they would take this, uh, before they actually got onto a diving board, they would take this little uh, slide, is the best way I can describe it, it wasn't very big, and so you would put this little slide at the end of the pool, and the child would get on this slide on their stomach and just very slowly just kind of slither into the pool, very gradual way of getting used to the motion of actually entering the water. And so it was a gentle way of, of getting into the whole prospect of actually getting onto a diving board and practicing how one actually goes into the pool. And so sure enough, after going through this little exercise of just slowly sliding into the pool, gently sliding into the pool, then Ethan and the others would go onto a low diving board and practice uh, all kinds of different ways of actually how to enter the pool. And there would be practicing about how to, how to jump, how to hold your arms, all of these different things. And then at the end of the session, if the child wanted to, they could go to the high dive and take a leap off of that. Now, this was no ordinary high dive. I remember when I was a kid at the swimming pool, and the high dive was probably, I don't know, 15 feet, uh, maybe up in the air. This was like a high dive, like almost Olympic sized high dive. This is what the University of Chicago uses from their dive. So it was too high for the kids to actually dive head first, but they could jump off and enter with their feet hitting the water first. But it is a pretty daunting thing just for me to watch them climb up those steps. Uh, And I don't know exactly how they were feeling, but I would imagine there's a little bit of nervousness and fear as you peer uh, over this board and see how far it is to go into the water. But Ethan and the others were often kind of excited about doing this, going to the high dive. You know, I think at times in our faith lives, uh, understandably, we begin by going just in this little slide. Like, we may be brand new to the faith, and so we just want to find a way to very gently, slowly enter into the waters of faith, which is good and understandable and the way it should be. But sometimes I wonder if in our faith lives that we just stay on this little slide. Like, all we do is just stay with what we know. It's comfortable. It's slightly fun, uh, and it kind of eases our way into things. But I think at times we are called to, to branch out a little bit, even to maybe start off, go to that low dive. And so I want to talk about that a little bit today and to reflect on what does it take for us in our own faith lives to go not only to the small diving board and practice that, but even at some point, do we dare go to the high dive and see what life is like from those heights What's the breakthrough? What's the thing that gets us to go from this little slide up higher levels in our faith? That breakthrough, breakthrough, I think, is something that, that John Wesley wanted to happen for Christians. And it ties into, again, this sermon series that I mentioned earlier called Means of Grace. What does it mean to be a Methodist? Well, You really, before or as you talk about what it means to be a Methodist, you kind of have to talk about uh, John and Charles Wesley. I described them a little bit last week. These were uh, brothers who lived in 18th century England, Uh, went to Oxford, became uh, pastors in the Church of England, and uh, had a really formative experience of faith. So that they wanted to, particularly John, wanted others to know what it meant to have a lived out, passionate, Forceful feeling uh, of what the fa- what faith in Jesus Christ meant uh, for individuals, and one of the things that Wesley talked about that he felt like people could truly meet God was what he called means of grace, and the means of grace for Wesley were spiritual practices, and Wesley called them instituted, meaning these practices were uh, ones that Jesus Himself participated in, and he, he encouraged his followers to do so and to follow in his footsteps. These were things that Wesley believed that God would always be present. Now at times we may not always sense God's presence, but as Christians we believe that God can enter into our lives in so many uh, varied and multiple ways. But these five, Wesley believed, were particularly important. These were the ones where we really felt like God was going to be present, that we would have the opportunity to truly be in God's presence. And the five were a prayer, searching the scriptures, receiving the Lord's Supper, fasting, and conferencing. Now, it's that last one that we're going to focus on today because it is kind of uniquely Methodist. Uh, and at first, you might think to yourself, what the heck does conferencing mean? You may think about going to a conference where you uh, have lots of different booths at a big convention center and you get fun toys, uh, little uh, tchotchkes here and there. And that's not what this kind of conferencing was. Instead, it was, it was fellowship. It was conversation. When Wesley, and here I'm quoting from a, a Wesleyan theologian named Kevin Watson, and he said that when Wesley referred to Christian conferencing, what we now call holy conferencing, he was referring to the kind of intimate and focused conversation about one's lived experience of God and pursuit of a saving and healing relationship with Jesus Christ. A kind of intimate and focused conversation about one's lived experience of God. And so for Wesley, he particularly thought it was important for Christians to gather together on a weekly basis. He would call these uh, groupings uh, bands or classes, and they would gather together weekly to discuss their experience of God And in the process, they would become more sensitive to God's presence and work in their own lives. Wesley was so um, passionate about this, about the necessity of people gathering together and sharing from their heart and of talking about, this is what God is doing in my life. A key Wesleyan question was, how is it with your soul? Which is a really big question, kind of a daunting question. It's a question that we may want to stay away from, may not want to explore. But for Wesley, this was key for us to truly begin to, to dive in and deepen our own faith lives and get a sense of who God is and what God is doing. How is it with your soul? And to share that question with others in a consistent, constant basis. This kind of experience for Wesley was an important thing to note. And in fact, next week, this is a little bit of a preview of the sermon next week of what is now called the Wesleyan Quadrilateral, and we'll talk about what that means, that we know God through scripture centrally, but also we know God through tradition and reason. And for Wesley, it was key to also talk about experience. For him, he loved reading spiritual biographies to see what is God doing in other people's lives. And for him, for us to gather together and talk about this to conference one another, is key. We do this a little bit at Urban Village every single week during worship, and we call it testimony, where we are asking people to come up and share, what is God doing in your life? We see this in our scripture today. In the scripture, in this passage from Acts, we note at the very beginning that there is some disagreement among followers of Jesus about whether one should be circumcised before they are truly a member of of the community of Christ. And a key element and part of this debate was testimony. We see this. So verses three and four, so here are two men, Paul and Barnabas, and verses three and four say this, that these two individuals were sent on their way by the church, and they passed through both Phoenicia and Samaria, and they reported reported the conversion of the Gentiles and brought great joy to all the believers." Later on, verse four, it said, when they came to Jerusalem, they reported all that God had done with them. They're talking about what God is doing in their lives. Verses eight and nine, Peter is doing the same thing, saying, God, who knows the human heart, testified to them, testified to them by giving them the Holy Spirit, just as he did to us. And in cleansing their hearts by faith, God has made no distinction between them and us. Peter is testifying here. And then the last verse, again, the whole assembly kept silence after Peter talked and it said, they listened to Barnabas and Paul as they told of all the signs and wonders that God had done through them among the Gentiles. There is, the air is thick with testimony in this passage that they knew the power of sharing the stories, friends, listen to us. Don't just go to the law as you know it without seeing and experiencing what God is doing. And the hope was that would inform them in the decisions that they would make. What is God doing in your lives? This was key for Wesley. How is it with your soul so that people would be able to have the courage to share this and to listen to this to one another? And yet I think in our faith lives, we hesitate, perhaps, to conference. We hesitate to share that intimate and focused conversation. Instead, we engage in Christian small talk, if we do that at all. We talk a little bit here and there, maybe a little bit about, maybe with your friends or even people in our own community. We share about a little bit what's going in our lives, but we may you know share about how, how work is going or, or in other things. And this can happen not, you know, with people that we are in community with. We don't have the courage to speak up. People will come to me at times and share these things, for which I'm grateful. I'm glad to have these this kind of holy conferencing with me. People will have shared with me that, you know, God is absent in my in my life right now. And I think at times, sometimes it's even easier. And we've hopefully have given folks permission to, to share that. But I also hope that we have the permission to share things like, you know what, I'm really excited about what God is doing right now in my life. I think we get nervous about saying, well, that seems like that's a that's a brand of Christianity that's not us. We don't want to get too excited about talking about what God is what God is doing. I sometimes am guilty of this. People will say to me, and it's happened the past week. People say, and it's, I hear the good things that's going on, exciting things going on in urban village, and my gut reaction is to kind of temper that a little bit. Well, yeah, but it, it may not be as great as you think. And I keep thinking, why do I do that? Why don't I say, you know what? God is doing something pretty remarkable. Let me tell you some stories about what's happening. I hesitate to have that kind of focused, intimate conversation about what God is doing in my life and in the life of others. So it, I hope that this can happen, this kind of holy conferencing can happen with us in a community, but it can also, having this kind of courage to take this to the next level in our faith, to go beyond just a little kiddie slide and the diving, but to actually go maybe to the low board and dare we even begin to climb the steps to the high board. We can do this with friends, with people that we know, it can also happen with individuals with whom we disagree. Now that might seem really out there. Like that might seem like, have you ever seen the cliff divers? That might seem, or skydiving, that may, and you may say, I am never going to do a faith skydive. To have this kind of conversation with somebody with whom I disagree theologically, that could never happen. And yet I think it can. This kind of holy conferencing, this kind of vulnerability and courage. I'm reading a really wonderful book right now that my dad gave me, written by a, an Irish writer and, and theologian and poet named uh, Padraig O'Tama, and um, I highly recommend it. It's called In the Shelter. And in the book, uh, later on in the in the book, uh, it's important to note, I think, it's a key part of the book that he is, Padraig is gay, and so... In the end of the book, he talks about uh, that he was at a retreat, and he called it a retreat for Christian people who were uncomfortable or cautious or unsure how to engage with LBT people. And so as as O'Talma writes, he says, the retreat went as was to be expected, which is to say it went on with carefully mediated steps where individuals take steps towards one another in tentative understanding. And I think this encapsulates so much of our conversation. Mediated, carefully mediated steps, tentative understanding. Now, I want to say that that's not a bad thing necessarily, but I think it begins to hinder our growth as Christians when we just stay in those places, when we just stay with carefully mediated steps and tentative understanding. So, He goes on to describe in the retreat that at one point a man stands up and he described himself as a fundamentalist Christian. And I would imagine for many folks who are listening to this podcast, those can be trigger words, fundamentalist Christian, because you're wondering what exactly is this person going to say? But he described that this this man stood up and he said this. He said, I have a question for the gay people in the room. Since we met together yesterday... How many times have my words bruised you? Now, I would imagine for those who are sitting there, that probably took them aback a little bit and they didn't know what to say. And in fact, Otama says that um, there was silence for a while because people didn't know how to respond. And he, he kind of funnily Uh, says that Irish, though Irish people have reputations with quick tempers, he said they're nonetheless very polite. And he said one man sitting next to him who was gay said, ah, uh, you're grand. Don't worry. But the man who described himself as fundamentalist continued. He said, no, please. I am asking a question and I want you to answer. How many times since we met together yesterday, have my words bruised you? And then I want to read the excerpt from the book. It says this, A woman sitting near me started to count on her fingers. Everybody was watching her. She counted on one hand and then the other, and then said in a quiet voice, I gave up after the first hour. It was a hard truth. And it was a truth that took courage to ask and to say. The man asked another question. Do you mean to say that every time you come to meet people like me, you have to prepare to put up with insult? Yes, was the answer. And the man said, I'm glad you told me this. I have learned something. He doesn't say whether the man changed his views on homosexuality. But I think I was really moved by this story because I think it paints a picture of many different ways of characterizing who certain Christians are. That There is a man who described himself as fundamentalist, but who also cares about hurting someone. I think if you're like me, perhaps we tend to paint with a broad brush folks who would identify themselves in that way. But I was also Inspired by the story because of the courage, not just of the man asking the question, but the other person to respond, to say, yes, I, I lost count after the first hour. To be able to have the courage to say, I have been bruised, hurt by your words. Now, Wesley talked, I think, about holy conferencing with a a group of people who met on a consistent basis. I don't know if technically this would fit into that definition of holy conferencing, but I'd like to think that it would. Particularly having the courage to ask questions that take you toward that high dive so that you're not just staying on the small little slide. And this is what we try to get at, at our church when we begin to also have conversations about race. Part of our own growth to be more anti-racist community is to engage in what we call caucusing, where we separate people who are white in one group and people of color in another group. And at first, I think this is hard for folks because they don't like the whole notion of separating. But we have to create what I love some of the people have instructed us call brave spaces for people to talk about their frustrations, their anxieties, their guilt, um, their pain And then we come together and hopefully we create another brave space where people can begin to engage in those kinds of conferences, that holy conversation. Wesley believed, and this is a distinctly Methodist thing, this whole notion of conferencing, to gather together, to have intimate conversations. This is what God is doing in my life. To be honest and forthright about that and not just to say, Wonderful things, those are important, but also to say, this is how I have been hurt. This is where I am experiencing loss, where we can begin to have those conversations, friends, together. I would love for us to begin to have some of these weekly groups. You know, I know we live in a busy society and we talk at times like, ah, I just I don't have time for that. We try to engage this in intentional discipleship relationships, but can we start these groups too? Can you, wherever you are, begin to think about how can I create the kind of community and make it a priority where I am sharing in these kinds of conversations about what God is doing in my life? And when we do, I think we then move to that low dive, the low board, and then we even begin to climb up those steps one by one Till we get closer to the heavens and we have the courage to take that literal leap of faith into the waters vision, where God Lord is waiting for us. May you have the courage to engage in that way. Amen. That well friends, thank you once again for listening uh, this week. And I'll be back next week to talk more about uh, Methodism and Wesley, and so I hope that you will continue to uh, tune in. If you'd like to reach out to me, you can do so on email, chris.urbanvillagechurch.org or Twitter, at Christian Kuhn, or you can go to my website, at uh, which is christiankuhn.com. I just finally put up a new blog post this past week, and I'm hoping to put up another Feeling Boldly podcast in the next few days, too. But until the next time, friends, may the peace of Christ be with you.